Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. So we're going to continue in this series. We talked about number one, God's word. We talked about number two, God's presence. Today, we're going to talk about three and four. We're going to pack a lot into today. We're going to talk about number three, God's family, and then number four, God's culture. These are the five things that we value, God's word, God's presence, God's family, God's culture, and God's character. And there's a whole lot in those five things, and it's my attempt to unpack at least some of that Uh, during this series. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 16. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow with us on the screen, you can do that as well. Matthew chapter 16, our main verse for this series comes from here. And this is one of my favorite passages actually in all of the Gospels because there is so much in it. Matthew chapter 16 suppose if I'm going to tell you to turn there, I should turn there as well. What do you think? Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to read verse 18. Jesus is speaking, and he says, And I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. How many of you are thankful for the promise that Jesus has made in this verse that the powers of hell cannot prevail against the strength of the church of Jesus Christ? Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad that you have victory this morning? That no matter what you face, no matter how ugly life gets, no matter what the enemy can conjure up to throw at you, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the advancing of your life because you are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news this morning? I'm here to tell you the gospel's nothing but good news. Amen? I know. <laughs> it's just nothing but good news. Can I take a, just a quick deviation real quick here? Um, you know, I was thinking about this this past week. People have asked me before, how come we preach a gospel that's so positive, so upbeat? Why do we preach, you know, that God wants us to be happy and that he wants us to be blessed and he wants us to be filled with life and full of joy and he wants us to be healed, you know? Why do we preach something so popular, so, so upbeat? And I was looking through the word the other day, and the Lord brought back to my remembrance Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. Anybody know what Proverbs 4, 18 says? It says that the path of the just grows brighter and brighter until the the day. Well, let's read it because I'm going to quote it wrong. Let me read it to you. This is not in the notes, but this is for somebody this morning. Maybe it's not for anybody here. Maybe it's for somebody watching online. I'm good either way. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. Just listen, just listen. But the path of the just is like the shining sun. It shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Now, I'm not going to get into it for time, but I went and studied that out in the Hebrew, and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculously good in the Hebrew. It says that the path of the just, how many of you have been justified by faith in Jesus this morning? How many of you's sins have been washed away? Let me see your hands. 
You're just this morning. You've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that means that this scripture says that the path of your life gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and never stops getting brighter. And if you go take it, take it apart in the Hebrew, man, it's even better than the English. I'm here to tell you, why do we preach such a positive gospel? Why do we preach such an uplifting message of the grace of God? It's because that when you get saved, your life is supposed to improve, not decline. Your life is supposed to continually be on the up and up, that the more you walk with God, the deeper he takes you into his goodness, the more you realize just what happened on the cross. You know, it's so much more than just you getting saved from hell. It's that heaven can come and invade your life right here, right now, that you become the living sacrifice, a living example of the King of kings and the Lord of lords living in your life. And your life's supposed to improve, not decline. You know, the world would tell you that your life's supposed to decline with age. Amen. Come on, this is for somebody this morning. The world would tell you your life's supposed to decline and decrease with age. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. According to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, your life's supposed to improve. Tomorrow's supposed to be better than today. And next week's supposed to be better than this week. And next month, better than this month. Next year, five years, ten years from now, better than right now. You are going somewhere to happen this morning. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm excited about that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. No matter what hell throws against you, Jesus said here that it wouldn't be able to stop the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm building my church. Jesus is in the process of building his church in the high country. We get to be a part of that process. We talked about how our values are so important in what Jesus wants to build through us, that we need to understand our values which come out of the scripture, that if we will live by those values, we'll create a healthy church culture, and that healthy church culture will fulfill the vision that the Lord's put in our hearts to fulfill. Can you say amen? Amen. So today we're going to talk about value number three, which is God's family, and value number four, which is God's culture. I want to pray before we do that, and then I want us to make our confession of faith. So let's bow our heads for a moment. I know we've prayed some this morning, but it never hurts to do some more. Lord, we love you today, and we honor you. We prepare our hearts with reverence for your word, and we invite you to speak to us. As Nick prayed during the offering, Lord, we, we put aside every distraction We lay aside everything that would try to take hold of our focus this morning, that would seek to rob us of what you wanted to speak to us this morning. So God, we ask you to have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, move on the hearts of people. Move on those who are watching. Move on those who would see this maybe months, weeks, or years from now that would find this message. Lord, let this word remain potent in their hearts. Speak to us today. We're ready to listen. We give you the praise in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Let's make our confession of faith. You'll see it up there on the screen. Those watching at home, you can follow on the screen as well. Let's read this out loud today together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. What a great confession to make over your life, that you're growing in the things of God. Amen? 
So value number three, God's family. God's family. How many of you know God has a family? And you're in it. Amen. Amen. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, Father Abraham. Okay. Amen. God's family, uh, for the purpose of this teaching and for the purpose of this series, we're breaking this up into three things when we talk about God's family. Number one is the church globally. The church of Jesus Christ, which is our global family. Have you ever had the wonderful experience of traveling to another country on a missions trip and meeting some of God's family in another part of the world? If you've ever had that joyful experience, you'll know the immediate fellowship that you can have with a total stranger. Somebody that you've never met before, but when you come in contact with them and you both realize we're part of the same church, even though they may live on the clear other side of the planet, you don't know them, they're family, they're nothing. And all of a sudden, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me and it's the most joyful thing. Well, I'll go to preach in another country. The last time I was in Mexico, I had people, I was traveling by myself in Mexico and I had these folks come to pick me up at the airport. And we, it was like we were long lost brethren that had never met before. And here we are in a car for a couple hours riding to our destination, getting to know one another and recognizing we're part of the same family. We live on the other side of the world from each other, but we're part of the same family. So when we talk about God's family, number one, we're talking about the church, which is the global family of God. Number two, we're talking about our church which is the local family of God. There's the global church and there's the local church. The global church finds its expression locally all over the place. In every city, in every town, in every place, you'll find a church. Amen. Now, there are certain places in the world where you won't find a church because maybe it's illegal. Maybe people have not had a chance to cultivate uh, good missions work there yet, and, and you'll find towns and cities in other parts of the world where it's illegal to lift up the name of Jesus. Ought to make you thankful that you live in a, in a country like America where, it's, where we can say Jesus is Lord and not worry about getting our heads chopped off. Amen? So we have the global church, and then we have the local church, which exists locally. And then the third thing that we want to talk about when we talk about the family of God is about outreach and evangelism. Because how many of you know that the family of God ought to be getting bigger all the time? Amen. Can I have a good amen to that? The family of God ought to be growing and getting bigger all the time. So as we talk about God's family, those are the three areas I want to highlight to you. Let's look at the global church for just a second. Of course, we just read Matthew chapter 16 and heard that Jesus is building his church, the global church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest entity in the history of humanity. Related to time, it spans millennia. Related to influence, it has shaped empires and built nations. Related to culture, it has defined societies and is responsible for human success. If you go and look, if you're a student of history, one of the things that you will undoubtedly and inevitably find is that where the gospel has gone, society has flourished. 
where the gospel has remained blocked out, society gets weakened. And I don't have time to argue that, but if you're a true student of history, you'll know that that's the case. Wherever the church goes, things get better. Amen. Since the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, there is not a time nor place where it has not triumphed in its efforts to mold human history. Though the enemy has sought to silence it, and though men have sought to pervert it, the church of Jesus Christ stands in glorious victory for all of time. The church is the apple of God's eye. It is the biggest thing on his agenda. He loves his church and he fervently protects it. I've said that for years now, that the local church and that the global church is the most important thing on God's agenda. And sometimes you say that and people look at you funny, as though God's got something else that he's doing that's more important. How many of you know what happens here on a Sunday morning? It's the most important thing God cares about. See what I mean? Y'all are looking at me like that, like I just said. What happens here, Now I'm not saying this is the only place that it's happening on the, on the, in the planet, but I'm saying that what happens in churches on Sunday morning, it's the most important thing that God thinks about. What happens all over the world when people lift up their voices and they come together as one, the function of God's church in the earth is the most important thing on God's agenda. I remember hearing of a missionary, and I, I'm torn in my memory as to which one it was, so I'm not going to mention names just in case I get it wrong, but I know that the quote is accurate. During World War II, he was taken captive in Germany, and um, while he was in prison, there, there, were, were audio, there was audio playing in the prison in, in German, which was constantly saying, Christianity is dead, God has dead, we've conquered the world, and it was just constantly playing, constantly playing, constantly playing, meant to absolutely break down and cause despair for the people that had been captured. And this man, of course, was a devout Christian. And he was asked about this later. And they said, what, did, you know, what, what happened while you were in this, while you were in prison and hearing all this stuff about the church having died? And he said, I had made the commitment in my own heart that if the church had died, I, even if I had to do it alone, would stand by its graveside until it rose again. Because no matter what the enemy tries, no matter how throughout the eons of, of human history the enemy has tried to stop the activity of the church. How many of you know Jesus' words in Matthew 16 ring true? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. This is amazing. This is what God thinks about his church. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And it reads, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How, how important is the church to Jesus? Important enough for him to die. Important enough for him to absolutely lay his life down. 
You see, that's why I say things like the church is the most important thing on God's agenda because it's the thing Jesus died to create. Let's keep reading. That he might sanctify and cleanse her, speaking of the church, with the washing of water by the word. Watch this, verse 27. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. What does Jesus think of his church? He thinks it's glorious. What is Jesus' goal for his church? That it would be filled with his very glory. That it would be pure and holy, set apart, sanctified unto him, and filled with his very presence. We love and we value the global church. That's why we give to missions. That's why we partner with ministries around the world so that we can see the gospel preached in every corner of this globe. We want to see nations not just saved, but discipled. Amen. I want to see nations discipled. This is why we, this is why we connect with and fellowship and, and support ministries like Pastor John and Rachel Javed in Lahore, Pakistan. Some of you have met them in times when they've come here and preached and ministered to us. Even amidst the pandemic, man, they're getting people saved like it's their job because it is their job. Amen. And we are honored to pour our support and throw our, our support behind ministries like that. Let's talk about the local church, the local family. Scripture speaks of more than just one global church that Jesus is building. Just like your body has a lot of things functioning in it that you can't see, microscopic details going on, the same is true of the body of Christ. The global church is built up of a bunch of small local churches, some bigger than others. Anytime you zoom into something deeper, you find that there's more happening than meets the eye. How many of you remember the first time you looked in a microscope at school? see all kinds of bacteria and just like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. Well, to zoom in on the, on the global church is to find the local church. Acts chapter 15 gives us a picture of this. Acts chapter 15. We're going to go through a handful of scriptures today. I hope that's all right with you. Acts chapter 15, verse 40 and 41 Throughout the New Testament, we see men like Paul building up and strengthening local churches from city to city and from town to town. Here's an example of that, Acts chapter 15, verse 40. And it reads, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Verse 41, And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That's one of those scriptures that's just a story verse. There's not a whole lot of revelation in it, but it points to us the reality. It reminds us of the reality that, that at that time, churches were popping up all over the place. Paul was planting them. James was planting them. Peter didn't really plant one. He stayed in Jerusalem and, and you know, presided over the church at Jerusalem. But there was people like Philip who went to Samaria and began to preach Christ. There's people that from Jerusalem scattered in every direction and churches started popping up all over the place. And the Bible talks to us clearly about that. 
It's clear from this verse that part of Paul's mission was to establish and strengthen churches all throughout the areas in which he traveled. Paul planted at least 14 churches, although some scholars count up to 20. I've planted one. It's not easy. Either way, no matter how you slice it, Paul was a, was a passionate church guy. Okay? And more than him just being a church guy, he understood what he was doing. He was co-laboring with the Spirit of God to see the kingdom of God established in the earth. Church planting is one of the most beautiful things that we can ever engage in. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is Paul writing. I'm going to read it to you just from the NLT. You don't have to turn there. He says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. Watch this. This is my rule for all the churches. Paul made his life and his ministry about traveling, strengthening, planting, ministering, and establishing the local church all over the then known world. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 reminds us, it starts by saying, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia Minor. You see, it's easy for us to forget that Christianity had to start somewhere. It had to start somewhere. And people got filled with the Spirit of God. They took the Word of God. They took the writings that they had at that time, and they just began popping churches up all over the place. The local church is of supreme importance. At Hope Church, we value what God is doing in our local church. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Here's a thought. We see ourselves as an absolute necessity in this community. Think about that for a second. We don't say that out of arrogance or pride or anything weird or manipulative, but we simply say that we believe God's called us here, which means that in his mind, we're absolutely essential. Yeah. Amen. 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 We're essential. In other words, what God wants to see happen in Watauga County, in the city of Boone, in the surrounding towns and villages, what God wants to see happen is, is in some way and in some part dependent on what we do with the time that's been given to us. We value this local church. Not just because we started it, but because God values this local church. Amen? God values the church you go to. Yeah. Yeah, he sure does. God planted us here because he has a plan for our church and for how we need to affect this region for the sake of his kingdom. When we say that we value our church, it means that we give our church a place of priority and investment in our lives. Amen. You ready for it to get uncomfortable for a second? Oh yeah, here we go. We've made the decision that we prioritize and value what happens in this church above other things. We've made the decision ahead of time that we're okay with saying no to some things in order to prioritize what God is doing in our church. Amen. I like what Nick said this morning during the offering, and we didn't even compare notes or nothing. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice to get somebody else closer to Jesus. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice to get yourself closer to Jesus. 
Amen? Amen. How many of you would have loved to stay in bed this morning? Those who made it out this morning, good job. Amen. Good job. For real. Because listen, because here's the reality. The world pulls on us so frequently. The world is constantly drawing our attention away from the things of God. And so what we end up having to do, guys, in our lives is is make decisions ahead of time to say, you know what? I've decided I'm going to prioritize the things of God above other things. Because I deem those things to be more valuable than whatever it is that the enemy wants me to engage with over here. And listen, it's not necessarily sin that the enemy is always trying to get you to do. Sometimes he just wants you to eat more pizza. Right? Sometimes he just wants you to watch another show. It's not sinful. But if it keeps you out of prayer, then it's detrimental. Paul said this. He said, all things have become lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. So one of the things that we learn as we study and, and, and investigate what the church means to us is that we recognize that because we value our church, we have decided to prioritize our church. Yeah. Amen. Because we value our church, we prioritize it, but also, think of this. Not only do we value our church, but we also value our role in our church. How many of you know you came through the door with gifts and talents this morning? You came through the door with things that the body of Christ absolutely needs. You have a part to play in what God does in this church. Amen? Come on, man. You've got a part to play. You've got a role. You've got an assignment. You've got some kind of good stuff that God's put on the inside of you that I need, that my wife needs, that the person you're sitting next to needs. There's some joy in you that that needs to get rubbed off on the people around you. Amen? There's some excitement, some encouragement that maybe somebody needs. You've got a role and a part to play in this church. And part of why we love the church and part of why we prioritize it is, yes, because we know that it's valuable for us and we want to receive what God has for us, but also we prioritize and recognize we got a part to play. we got a role in what God does. Amen? Praise God. We, dr- we demonstrate our love for the Lord by loving our church well. We value family life. We value connection. We value one another. How many of you value the person you're sitting next to this morning? Amen. We value each other. Church life ought to be exciting. It ought to be inspiring. I was talking to a friend not too long ago, and he made this comment to me. He said, you know, church ought not be the place you leave from frustrated. I said, yeah, man, that's absolutely true. It ought not be the place you leave from frustrated. It ought to be the place when you leave, you go, man, I'm so glad I went to church this morning. I'm so full. I'm so blessed. I got to love on somebody. Man, here, I'm taking somebody to lunch so that I can pour out God's love on them. Amen. Church life should be exciting. Finally, we're not going to get to God's culture today, by the way. Y'all were nervous, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I know. It's the Super Bowl. I get it. Okay. We're not, I'm not going not to keep you for too long. Finally, we want to 
point out when we talk about God's family, we're, we're remiss to talk about God's family without talking about God's future family. Amen. Yeah. Outreach and evangelism is of absolute importance. At Hope Church, we value the harvest. And part of valuing the family of God is seeing to it that the family of God is always growing and always expanding. Can I ask you a challenging question this morning? When's the last time you got somebody saved? Can I ask you, watching them from internet land this morning, when's the last time you witnessed to somebody? When's the last time you engaged intentionally in trying to reach the lost? Here's an, even more, here's an even more troubling question that I asked myself one time. Do people that you work with even know you're saved? I think I told you this story before I, I was working. I was 21 years of age. I was working for a, a company called Pro, Protocol Communications, which sounds fancy, but it was just a call center. And, uh, and I was working, and I sat next to this guy named John, and one day John was having a headache and was having like a bad migraine. And, and uh, he was telling me about it, and I was feeling bold that day. So I said, well, bro, let me pray for you. And he goes, pray for me? I said, yeah. I said, let me pray for you. I said, I'm a Christian. He goes, you're a Christian? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do people that you work with and live with know that you're different? Do they know that you're saved? It's going to be real hard for us to reap the harvest if we look and sound just like the people we're trying to reap. Amen. How many of you know Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel? He didn't say, go into all the world and try not to be noticed. Amen. Come on, y'all can say amen to that one. He didn't say, go into all the world and don't ruffle any feathers. He didn't say, go out in the world and hide. Time to take, time to take the camouflage off, y'all. It's time for us to get serious about the harvest. It's real, real, real easy for us to engage in a, this kind of us for no more mentality because we do value family, because, we, because of all the stuff I just talked about, how much we love the church, sometimes it's easy for us to engage only in ourselves and in, in selfish thinking. But how many of you know there's a hurting world out there right now that needs to hear the message of the cross, that needs to know? We, you know, we got stuff all over the building talking about hope. Hope grows here. Hope here. Hope this. Hope that. You know how many people need hope this morning? Lots of them. Lots of them. I've had conversations with pastor friends, and they talk about, well, it must be hard to grow a big church in a small town. I said, you know, this is a small town, but it's still filled with unsaved sinner people that need to know Jesus. We can grow quite a big church here, y'all. Amen? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching in the gospel of the kingdom, 
and healing every sickness and every disease from among the people. Boy, Jesus was awesome. Wasn't he so good? Just preach and teach and love on people and heal everybody. Jesus never turned anybody away that came to him looking for healing. Isn't that awesome? How merciful, how gracious he was. He is. He's alive. Amen. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, this, this scripture will prick your heart. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. My friend Dominic Russo is an evangelist, a very well-known evangelist, and he, I remember him saying this. He said, it's, it's never a laborer problem, or excuse me, it's never a harvest problem. It's always a laborer problem. The first thing that stands out to, to me in this passage is that the Bible says that Jesus, when he saw the condition of the people that he was around, was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. It doesn't just say that he had compassion. It said that he was moved with it. There's a lot of people that have compassion there's a handful of people that do something about it. There's a lot of people that discover compassion for the hurting, but there are very few that are moved by it. You see, we have to get to the place in our own lives where the compassion of God for the hurts of humanity becomes such a compelling and drawing force that it actually gets us off our couch and we actually want to go out into the world and make a difference for somebody. Amen. Jesus was moved with compassion. To the degree that he stopped thinking about his own comfort and he stopped thinking about whatever it was that he wanted to do and he said, you know what? We need to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful. It says here that when he looked at the harvest, he saw that the people were weary and scattered. I'll bet that if you were to take an inventory, and if I was to take an inventory of the people around me, I'd be willing to bet that quite a few of them, if not most of them, are weary right now. How many of you are, could, could say that? You say, you know, my, when I look at my family, my neighborhood, the, my job, the people I'm close to, so many people are weary. The time for us as powerhouse evangelists has never been more perfect than it is right now. The world is bankrupt on hope, bankrupt on joy, filled with despair. We've just come out of a year that for many, will, they will look back on it as the worst year of their lives. And it's time for us as a church to be moved with compassion. We value God's family 
And that includes valuing God's family that's not in the family yet. Our future brothers, our future sisters, the people that are out there that need to know that Jesus died on a cross for them, that he, that he was actually moved with compassion to the point that he was willing to lay his life down for them. So many people need to know that. And so many people need to see that expressed in front of them. So many have actually heard the message, but it hasn't meant anything to them because they haven't found a Christian yet who's willing to actually stake their life in the truth of that message. But you're, you're the kind of people that will do this. You're the kind of people that say, you know what? Yeah, I believe in Jesus and I stake my whole life on him. I build my whole world around the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't just an additive to my life. He's not just, you know, a checkbox that I check off on Sundays. He's actually everything to me. I want to tell you, when people see your life and they see you're radical and they see that you're sold out for Jesus, it's so appealing and attractive to the world because you carry a hope that they don't have. You carry a joy that they don't know even how to get to. I remember my Aunt Karen, my dad's oldest sister, gave her life to Jesus. Gosh, this is maybe 10, 15 years ago now. She gave her life to Jesus and <clears throat> had just a wonderful conversion, just an awesome, radical conversion. And I'll never forget this testimony. It just sticks out in my mind. She went to work. The next day, she's retired now, but she was still working then. And she went to work and that following Monday morning and she walked into the office and everybody looked at her funny. They're all like, what happened to you? Now she didn't say anything. She didn't do anything unusual. She just got to work, just went into work and they said, what, what happened to you? She said, what do you mean? One of her coworkers said, I'll never forget this. She said, I look at you and it's like you got light all around you. So, something's changed about you. What's changed? What's different? What happened to you this weekend? Did you go to a party? Did you go to a concert? What happened? Did you win the lottery? See, there's something so dynamic that you carry in your life, whether you remember it all the time or not, whether you're aware of it or not, we talked about the presence of God a couple weeks ago. You're, you're literally the house of God. You're literally, you're, you contain and you possess the, the, the presence of the Lord in your heart. Jesus lives on the inside of you. I mean, Romans chapter eight makes no bones about it. Go read Romans 8, verse 11. It said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And he gives life and quickens and strengthens your mortal body. That scripture is good, not just for you. It's good for everybody around you too because you carry something that you don't even remember or realize oftentimes. We, we lose sight of it so frequently, what we actually possess. God, God himself lives in you. That's why Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, this was the scripture I was gonna close with. 
Jesus said in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That means it starts with you, it starts at home, and it grows from there. Amen. You've got something in you to get excited about. You've got something in you that the world absolutely needs. We'd be remiss to be selfish and to hoard what we have. Amen. It would be foolish of us to hoard and hold on to what God's put in us. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a preacher. I'm not called to preach the gospel. You may not be called to stand on a stage under lights. You may not be called to be in front of TV cameras. You may not be called to stand behind a pulpit. But let me tell you, brother, let me tell you, sister, you're called to preach the gospel in your world. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said again in Matthew 28, go into all the world. But when he said it in Matthew 28, it's a different Greek word. It's the word ethnos, which is the word which means culture or people groups. In other words, in Mark 16, Jesus was saying, go out into all the world, which is the, the, the physical world. Go, go out of your country, go out of your town, travel, go somewhere, take the message with you. But in, Mar in Matthew chapter 28, he, he words it differently. He says, go into all the world, the ethnos. In other words, go into every man's world. Go into every person's world and take the gospel. When you're at work and you're engaging in conversation with somebody, you're in their world. And God sent you into their world with something to leave there. God sent you into their world with something to give. It's my desire, especially in the midst of crazy times, that evangelism take a more central and more important role in our church. That going forward, we be a church that's not, we're not looking to try to poach Christians from other churches to grow our church. You know, there's three ways to grow a church. You know this, right? Three ways is it. Get Christians from other churches to come to your church. Get a lot of people saved or have a lot of babies. This is the only way that you grow the church. There's three ways, just three. And I'm thankful when people come to our church. I am always thankful when Christians come to our church from somewhere else. But you know what my heart's real desire is? Not to have more babies. I got enough babies. <laughs> Amen. Three is a crowd. <laughs> my daughter is looking at me funny from the front row. You know what my real desire is? To see more people get saved. To see people come to a hope and healing meeting and fill the altar. To see people come to church on Sunday because you brought them with you and they say, this is better than I could have imagined. 
I want the Jesus y'all keep talking about. Oh, he's different. He's different than my religious upbringing taught me. He's different than, yeah, I thought this was all just a bunch of works. I thought this was all just a bunch of, you know, try to, try to live perfect so you could squeak your way into heaven and make God, not make God angry on the way. I thought this was all about being perfect. No. No, it's about a living relationship with the one who made heaven and earth. How much better could life be than to spend it in intimacy with the God of the universe? I think when people see that, won't be able to keep them from the altar. Won't be able to stop them from giving. It's, it's, like, the, it's like in the book of Acts when they came to Peter and they came to John and they said, what must we do to be saved? The message of Jesus' love was so compelling that they had to find out, they had to push their way through the crowd and get to Peter and say, what do we have to do? We want this. What do we need to do to be saved? That's what gets me out of the bed on Sunday mornings. It's the chance that we have. It's another day. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's one more chance that we have to tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. Does that fire you up this morning? Boy, that stirs me up. Let's stand up to our feet this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.